first comment I saw when I looked at my YouTube studio running over there, Michelangelo. Looks like it was a busy week for Mr. Hunt. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things this week. I'll talk about those in a moment. Uh, content warning, like some stuff I'm going to talk about later on with one of these breaches is not, uh, it's not very pre- present, pleasant. I don't feel very present after dealing with it. Very pleasant. But I'm going to talk about it in very generic terms, but uh, it might be, might be something you don't want your kids listening to if you're in the car podcasting it later on. I'll come back to that. Let me start with the good, easy bits. <laughs> the sponsor. It's nice to have a good sponsor. The good sponsor is a sponsor that's been there for many weeks now. Collide Endpoint Security for teams that value privacy, transparency, and employee productivity. They are all wonderful things. We all want, I think we all want more of all of those things. Uh, for the most part, with some exceptions. Um, <laughs> let's not get into the whole government and privacy thing. We can talk about England later on. Try Collide for free today. And as I've said, uh, each week, that I, how long have I had Collide on now for? Probably about six weeks. So they've been a very good sponsor, end of 2021 into 2022. One of the more positive things about that period of time. Endpoint security powered by people. Message your employees on Slack for writing customized security and compliance recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices. Don't forget the Windows ones. So please go and check out Collide. I uh, really pre- appreciate them supporting me and making it possible for me to be stuck in isolation at home, which ended today. Come back to that in just a moment. And still do what I do. Okay, so... I'll do the easy bit first. I say, uh, <laughs> last week, weeks before, I don't know, it depends how long you've been watching for, 30th of uh, December, we went and had some drinks, and long story short, out of about six couples and a bunch of kids that went for drinks, most people ended up getting COVID. Very, very mildly fortunately, because everyone was double vaccinated because they're responsible citizens. Anywho, Charlotte got it. Uh, very, very mild. Sniffle, sore throat. And then uh, we ISO'd her. Proper like proper home ISO'd her. It's like, into the room, you're in a mask, we're in a mask, we'll bring the food up, we'll wash the plates and everything really carefully, all the rest of it. Elle, our nine-year-old daughter, tested positive. Entirely asymptomatic. Like, why do you have so much energy, child? Sort of asymptomatic. And... We thought she was uh, pretty much through it and that uh, I had to take our son, Ari, 12, double-vaxxed, 12-year-old double-vaxxed, to an orthodontist appointment. Friday last week, just after I did my video Friday last week, I'm like, uh, we're going to need to test you first because you've been a close contact. Positive. So, <laughs> somehow, it has worked its way through the family asynchronously, through everyone but me. But because it was Friday last week, the legislation in Australia at the moment says that if you test positive and you have no symptoms for the next week, and he had none again, it's like, why do you have so much energy? He's in and out of the pool all day. Terrible ISO. If you test positive and then you have no symptoms for one week, you can go out. And today was the end of that one week. But of course, that was on the tail end of another week, which was on the tail end of another week. So from the 31st of January through to the 21st of 
well, really the 20th, our circles are out today. So three weeks, 21 days in total of ISO of one level or another. And then we're all sort of sitting here trying to figure out, it's like, okay, who can go where, when, who's tested what, at what time, and what, who's been exposed. And then, uh, and this is not just an Australia thing too, it is different state by state. If you've had COVID within the last month and you're a close contact but you've had more than one week with no symptoms after your positive test then you can go out so charlotte could go out and al could go out so they're like out at SeaWorld this week just having fun but ari hadn't yet gotten through a week and i was a close contact with no symptoms so we're like sitting at home playing xbox which wasn't all bad if i'm honest anyway today's first day is all clear First day, he was actually able to go and play with his mates. So we went out. Uh, we went out in the boat today. We've been out wakeboarding and wake surfing. The kids have been on the tube. It's been awesome. We had friends over. We had barbecue. Like it was just, it was nice. He's going to a mates tonight just to have a sleepover because he's missed three weeks of his school holiday. At least in terms of being able to go out, we have had a lot of fun on our own, but we have been rather restricted. So touch wood, that's the end of this cycle of ISO. So long as I don't somehow test positive because I've I don't know, I had some latent immune system or something like that. I don't know. Hopefully we're fine. All right, a couple of comments here. Michelangelo, congratulations on the end of your isolation here. Thanks, mate. Well, now, Wayne, I, I did see a comment here just before, Wayne, when I was talking. The notification from YouTube comes in after you have started. Always miss the first few minutes. Suggestion, have a starting soon screen. You could put the sponsor logos on there for some extra promotion. That's not a bad idea. I have been thinking I should do something a bit more... <laughs> a bit more professional than just like press the start button. I used StreamYard recently with a, with a mate of mine doing another video and that looked pretty slick. Uh, I will give that some more thought in terms of how I can do that better. Uh, but I, I appreciate the, the tip there, Wayne. I'll keep that in mind. All right, let me move on to um, onto some of the other things here. Uh, because I do have a lot of breaches on the list. Actually, let me look. What I normally do is I have like a a more detailed set of notes, and then there's the things that I tweet. But look, I mean, let's let's just jump straight into the breaches because there were uh, five breaches to deal with this week. And it's not necessarily because five companies got breached this week. There were some new breaches. A lot of it is because I was in ISO <laughs> this week, and it's like, well, I'm stuck at home. What am I going to do? Might as well load data breaches. So I'm just going to go through these in order of, of chronology. And there is always more to the story than what ends up being out there sort of in the tweet stream and in the Have I Been Pwned description. And that has never been truer than today with a bunch of these being kind of weird. Uh, now, Michael Angelo, you just got the Twitter notification. Yeah, because I forgot to send it on time. Twitter is actually usually pretty much instantaneous. I looked over my screen like 60 seconds ago and I went, oh, shit, I hadn't, pre- <laughs> hadn't pressed the button. So now I've pressed the button. But yes, the other bit which Wayne said, I, I agree, I can do that better. Richard, hi from sunny, from sunny England. I thought you said Surrey in England. I was like, okay, that's feasible. Sunny England, I know you're lying. All right, breaches. At Aditya Birla Birla fashion and retail it's an indian company uh with a name that my rough australian accent is murdering so apologies uh to them they got breached and this was kind of interesting because try and put this in a way that sounds very objective and fair without getting thrown under the bus indian companies in my experience Indian companies that have data breaches are not 
are not the most transparent. Uh, now, I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, Indian friends out there who would agree with me because I have a lot of them contacting me going, look, <laughs> we're just not real good at actually coming out and owning up to a data breach uh, in the subcontinent. Now, this particular company seems to be part of a very, very large company, uh, allegedly valued at somewhere in the order of 45 billion US dollars, which is sizable. And what appears to have happened here is Shiny Hunters, the hacker slash hackers collective that has been rather good at breaking into systems. Looks like they tried to shake them down for money. It's been a ransom job. Uh, I'm reading a piece here from InfoRisk today, and I'll explain why in a moment. I've picked their article in particular. Ransomware group Shiny Hunties, Hunties, <laughs> Stolen Hunters. You'd think I could say that name right, wouldn't you? Shiny Hunters has stolen 700 gigabytes of data belonging to customers and employees of Indian fashion and retail firm Aditya Birla Fashion and Retail. Troy Hunt, founder of Have I Been Pwned, tells Information Security Media Group. Now, um, that data uh, was out there. It was being shared on a popular hacking forum. What appears to have happened is Shiny Hunters tried to shake them down for money, and they've basically gone, uh, you've got $45 billion there-ish. Shouldn't be too hard to give us some sizable amount of money. They don't say how much money. But there's a little bit of a screen cap in here on this InfoRisk Today story, which has some of the communication. Now, this bit here says... Uh, Hi, I'm a negotiator rec representing the victim organization, ABFRO, which is much easier to say than the full name. We are initiating the conversation to discuss and resolve the event. Thank you. Now, interestingly, there is an industry of ransom negotiators. And I learned this some years ago when I was doing a talk at a wide security event in London. And one of the other speakers, fascinating guy, I always remember his name because it's a super cool name. A guy's called Moti Crystal. And he was like ex-Israeli, I was going to say ex-Israeli military. Basically, everyone in Israel is ex-Israeli military because you've got mandatory national service. But anywho, he was like a proper hostage negotiator. Like, yeah, something you'd seen in the movies kind of thing. And he had pivoted to negotiating ransoms when data was held by hackers asking for money. And I just always remember talking to him as well as seeing his presentation and going, wow, this is fascinating. There is actually an industry for data breach hostage negotiators. Anywho, this goes on. Hi, thank you for your patience, and we really appreciate it. This is from the negotiator. I hope you understand that we're working on complex machinery and doing our best to resolve this situation amicably. Sounds like a letter from my lawyer. What? Uh, <laughs> given, given the ask, we would appreciate it if you could give us some more time and assist in resolution. Anyway, long story short, obviously they have not been able to reach an agreement and the data has been dumped. Data consequently turned up in Have I Been Pwned. It looks like, uh, according to the story here, shows the ransomware negotiation started on December 4, 2021. So... As best I can tell, this is pretty much what it sounds like. Okay, uh, data breach happened. I'm not entirely sure how it happened. Probably good old SQL injection or exposed database or stupid credentials or any of the popular things. Shiny Hunters tried to make some money out of it. it hasn't worked. Uh, ended up being published to the dark... No, not the dark web. I'm going to come back to this. This is why I picked this story in particular. It has ended up being published on the internet made us want to have a been pwned. I've put it out there. And then this is one of the things I find quite interesting. There, there can be general consensus or knowledge about a breach. There can be a story about a breach. 
uh, and nothing gets much traction. And then it goes into Have I Been Pwned? And then because of the reach that Have I Been Pwned has, has somehow been able to create by, by ways that still surprise me more than anyone else, once it goes in there, it's, it just suddenly starts to get traction and, and greater awareness. Now, the reason I chose the Info Risk Today story is that uh, I do remember having a little chat to this journalist, but it, it popped up in my LinkedIn feed because, you know, like if, if someone mentions you in, in LinkedIn, then you get a little notification. So it popped up and I saw it. And the description here in LinkedIn says, Have I been pwned founder confirmed 700 gigabytes stolen from Indian retail firm, ABFRL, has been leaked on the dark web by the shiny hunters. And then there's a picture of where it's been posted on this popular forum, which is a clear web website. Now, I've written before about my massive dislike for the use of the term dark web in order to make it sound scary. So I just left this journalist a comment. I said, to be clear, that screen grab is not from the dark web. It's a mainstream website easily accessible by anyone on the clear web. And I've made the point many times before in various presentations that, frankly, the clear web is a lot scarier than the dark web simply because it has such great reach and it's so easily accessible. I could, Some of you listening will know this anyway. They'll know the website. They'll know the URL. Don't put it in the comments because it's not, it's not something I want to give promotion to. But I could literally tell you this URL and like two minutes from now, you will find this. That to me is much more impactful than you've got to get the Tor browser bundle and then you've got to have the onion address and it's easy to mistype that because a lot of them got funny letters in them. And then you've got to find it. And then there's all this obfuscation and crypto and stuff. It's just everywhere on public hacking forums. It's not the dark web. Get over it. Come on. Lance says, it must be beer o'clock. <laughs> it, it must be. I'm, I'm sitting here drinking water so I can keep my wits about me as I delve into some of the nastier depths of data breaches this week. Mm. Next one. Speaking of nastier depths, Carding Mafia. Now, if you're not familiar with Carding Mafia, first of all, good. Uh, second of all, this is not their first rodeo. So Carding Mafia. Uh, carding as a concept is this practice of people stealing credit card details, credit card numbers, uh, if they can get their hands on them, the CVVs, whatever else it may be, and then using them for fraudulent purposes. Carding has been around for a very, very long time. Uh, Brian Krebs has written, oh, what's that Krebs book? He did an excellent book on this. Uh, Krebs book, Carding. It's not Kingpin. Is it Kingpin? Um, someone will remember what it is. I used to have it on my bookshelf, but I gave all my books away, so I can't remember what it is now. Um, uh, maybe it was Kingpin. Anyway, lots of stories about carding in the past. And of course, it's gotten more and more sophisticated as we've got cards that are increasingly more virtual as opposed to physical. Uh, most of my card stuff is on my watch. I went to fill my boat up with petrol this morning and I didn't even have my wallet because I rarely carry it because I've got my card here. But the place I go, you can only put $100 on if you don't have a physical card. It's little weird things like that. So we're not quite in the, you know, getting away from the plastic world yet. Regardless, carding is still a thing. Carding Mafia is a website that did have a data breach last year. They've had another one. And in fact, I went through and I very carefully compared the old one with the new one. One of the reasons I do keep the old breaches. And it was like, yep, everything lines up and you get down to record. I think it was like 297,000 and then the old breach ended and then the new one just kept going to new ones. So breached again. Uh, more data out there. So uh, 
good on those guys. <laughs> I just don't have sympathy for people in carding data breaches. I mean, they're basically there just to try and rip people off. Uh, Charlotte had her card defrauded, I think it was actually just last week. Uh, now, interestingly, like we, we don't know from where because she sort of said oh look i'm really careful of the websites i go to so okay well how do you tell the website that's going to steal your credit card details versus the one that doesn't uh would british airways steal your credit card details would Ticketmaster steal your credit card details no well they both had Maidcart running on them which has siphoned off credit card details in the past so you don't know anyway what was interesting is she woke up one morning and she had uh i think she had an sms from our bank and it said, we, we've put a hold on your credit card because we've identified some attempted fraudulent transactions. And the bank had perfectly nailed it. Like every attempted fraudulent transaction had been blocked. And then she went back through her statement for the last couple of months and there was nothing in there which she didn't recognize. They cancelled the card. They shipped out a new one in the mail. I think we had it within, we, we definitely had it earlier this week. So definitely less than a week, or let's call it say three business days. You know, like, job done. It's not a big problem. And I always find it interesting when we see a data breach and a company says, um, well, first of all, of course, they say, we take your security seriously. <laughs> By the way, we lost, lost is the wrong word. We still have, but now there are more backups of your email address and your password and your date of birth and your mother's maiden name and all these super personal immutable things. Uh, but good news, your credit card is fine. I'm going, I don't care about the credit card. I'll just go to the bank and I'll get a new credit card and I'll refund any fraudulent charges. I can't do that with my birth date or my mother's name. Most people can't do that with their password, which they've used absolutely everywhere. And now it's just like, you know, here's the keys to all of my online identities. Anyway, there's my rant on credit cards. Christian, morning from Norway, probably afternoon down under. It's well and truly afternoon. It is almost 6.30 p.m., uh, which, uh, as has been suggested earlier in the comments, is beer o'clock. Lancer's banks are expert at contextual and behavioral monitoring. I wish companies were more willing to do the same for authentication. Well, that's, it's actually an interesting discussion here, and let's, let's talk about this idea of uh, contextual and behavioral monitoring. We often see that the term user behavioral analytics, which is rather than being able to have some sort of a binary sense of what is a good transaction and what is a bad transaction. Uh, you know, whoever it was that was trying to charge Charlotte's card, we did actually know what the retailer was because they told us. It was a retailer that my, my first initial reaction was, first initial? Anyway, my first reaction was, this seems to be the sort of service where someone is going to buy a product which they can then on-sell and then redeem for cash and hence sort of rinse the money. Uh Retail or, or banks, rather, will, will rarely have this sort of binary sense of is this is this uh, merchant trustworthy, is this purchase trustworthy? But there are lots of different indicators of what would what would describe a legitimate transaction versus an illegitimate one. Now that might be everything from what are the normal purchasing patterns of the individual, uh, what are the regions that they would normally purchase in, what are the times of day? Yeah, it, it seems like these. Per oh. My uh, Sonos is telling me the 3D printer just finished. I'll talk about 3D printing another time. Uh, what are the sort of purchases this individual would normally make? So that they, they start to sort of build up much more intelligent heuristics around what is a normal pattern. And then there's this ability to sort of say, okay, well, let's have some confidence levels. 
So rather than this binary sense, it's like we have a scale of, you know, zero being zero confidence at all, 100 being, yep, sweet, good to go. Where within here are we and what controls must be put in place? Now, when we send that to authentication, we get away from the are the two things that you have in your head matching the two things in the system, you know, the username and the password. Uh, if they match, yes, you can come in and do anything else. I've often given the example in, in talks before when we're sort of trying to get away from this very simplistic sense of authentication. Where I've said, you know, here's a good example. Bob comes into the office each day uh, and he, he logs on to the sales department and he does some Excel spreadsheets. Uh, and and Bob's, Bob's down in Sydney. And then one day, Bob logs in from Beijing and pulls down five gigabytes worth of marketing data. So, well, <laughs> maybe it's not Bob. So that's the whole point of user behavioral analytics. So what is a behavioral norm? And then how far must you deviate from that norm before you say, look, something's up? That's a very, very powerful thing. Organizations like Veronis, a very regular sponsor on this blog, uh, do a lot of that as well. Okay, what else in here before I go on the next breach? Um, Cenosphere says you could always try to assume someone else's identity, uh, which may be related to the sort of contextual authentication here. My Clint Van Dunn, this is the perfect narrative. We care about your privacy and now have more backups of your data available. Yeah, that's really not the way it's meant to work. Uh, Shiroj Wolf is in Western Australia, the only part of the country without really any COVID at the moment. <laughs> that's why they won't let anyone else in. Hopefully business start understand the difference between immutable data and things that can be easily changed. Someone actually corrected me. I, I made a comment on Twitter during the week. I said, you know, the, the only things that have been taken are your immutable data, like your, you know, your address and your phone number and your gender and things. And he, he kind of went, well, they're not strictly immutable. So, well, to varying levels of complexity, I agree. <laughs> but I, I think if we were to say there is a reasonable assumption that some things can be changed without too much pain, your credit card, some things uh, cannot be changed without... A lot of work, gender. Uh, the downside, says Michelangelo, of credit card breaches is that you need to change the payment configuration for critical services. Critical services used, and I always forget one. I've got a, a credit card that is about to expire at the moment, uh, and I've got a, an inbox that is gradually filling up with all the companies telling me my credit cards are about to expire but the bank hasn't sent a new one yet so until the bank sends a new one i can't go through and change the change the direct debits and so on but you know this is just the nature of it um but this is also part of the reason we have expiration same way we have expiration on things like digital certificates it's like well if if nothing else works at least there's a point you know let's say if revocation checks for example don't work at least there is a point at which the whole thing will just fail to work you don't sort of get to perpetually use the thing to the disadvantage of the legitimate owner next breach upstocks upstocks another indian one uh indian trading company apparently it's one of these discount trading companies um this dates back to april and what's kind of interesting about upstocks is that there were really, I think it was 100,000 records. I'm just looking at how I've been paying. It says 111,002. So there is a little discrepancy there, but I got the impression from reading uh, the, the, the background I did when I was processing the breach that this is one of these ones where there was a sample, a taster of the breach leaked. And apparently the the threat actor, as they say, actually still had a much larger corpus. So we might see upstocks in Have I Been Pwned increase in size at some time in the future. Uh, 
Michael Kirkwood Smith says plus one for having a starting soon screen for the stream helps with delay on platforms. Okay, there's definitely a theme here that is going to be my well, I'm not nice to anymore, but it'll be my job after this. I'll have a look through it. Strauss is going through and going through the exact same thing with my bank card and the company's linked to it telling me it's about to expire. Yeah, well, I look my saving grace is I've got a, a couple of uh, different types of cards, and at least it's like, well, I can always kind of use the other one whilst the other one is yeah you know expiring next breach this one is interesting and i want to talk a bit more about this open subtitles now i didn't know what open subtitles was until this popped up on my radar and someone sent me this data on saturday it's friday here now so it's only six days ago and i had a look at it and i found it's almost 6.8 million unique email addresses which does make it quite sizable I'm just going to double check my description before I say this, but yes, it was unsalted MD5 hashes, which is which is so close to being just as bad as plain text. It's not even funny. So very, very large number of, of uh, passwords, which are going to get cracked and exploited. Now, this is kind of interesting because the... the, the the purpose of open subtitles is is kind of what the name sounds like, to provide subtitles in some sort of an open format, which you can then use on things like your movies. Now, I suspect all of this sort of slips into a little bit of the shadier end of how some people acquire and then use movies. I did see something pop up the other day about, uh, I believe there might be some sort of integration into Plex, which is a media server that I am uh, very in love with and I have been for many, 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 many years. So that if you've digitized your own media and then you can plug it into Plex and have your own sort of home media station. And my understanding is that you can then sort of take open subtitles and overlay them on your movie. And this all makes a lot of sense. So someone reached out to me. They said, you know, here's the data. is what usually happens. Someone pops up. Here's the data. And I verified it. And then I went to the, the website and I'm looking for a contact form. And I'm just like, oh, this is just going to be one of these. It's, it's going to be one of these ones where I'm going to send the message. And a week later, nothing's going to be happening. Uh, and it looked, it frankly looked a bit unloved. But I went through, filled out the contact us form. I, I, I did a, something I don't normally do. I tweeted at the same time. Right? Does anyone have a security contact? Now, someone did get back in touch with me. It went straight to junk, which wasn't great. But someone from the organization reached out. Uh, someone who was who was very nice too. Uh, English second language. I'm still not exactly sure where they're from. Someone will know where the company started. I think it was somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um, very very nice person, uh, and they were very open and transparent. And and what transpired, and they've subsequently written about this in their disclosure message, which I really pushed them. I really really like organisations to have their own disclosure notice in their own words that they communicate to their own customers before I put it into have I been pwned and I'm working on a bit of a theory about how I'm going to push companies to do that a little bit more quickly now um, I'm just going to read sort of the most critical parts of what they've put in this message we have some bad news reasonable we have been hacked in August 2021 we received Message on to I'm going to read this in, in just as it's written. So you'll see some of it's a little bit broken English. We received message on Telegram from a hacker who showed us proof that he could gain access to the user table of opensubtitles.org and downloaded a SQL dump from it. He asked for a BTC ransom to not disclose this to the public and promised to delete the data. We hardly agreed. Now, if I can translate that, 
they agreed and they paid, but they weren't very happy. I don't think anyone's happy on a pay ransom. We hardly agreed because it was not low amount of money. He explained us how he could gain access and helped us fix the error. On the technical side, he was able to hack the low security password of a super admin and gained access to an unsecured script, which was available only for super admins. The script allowed him to perform SQL injections and extract the data. He gained access to all user data, email, username, password. He promised the data would be erased and he would help us secure the site after the payment. You get that? The hacker shaking them down for money said, no, seriously, really, I'll delete the data and it will all be fine. The site was created in 2006 with little knowledge of security, so passwords were stored in MD5 hashes without salt. It means if you use strong password, let's say at least 10 characters with lowercase, uppercase, number, and special characters, you should be safe. No, no. But short, easy passwords, specifically they are in English dictionary, can e rather easily be extracted from these data. Now, to be clear, if it was my password, which is going to be tens of characters generated in one password, yes, it is very likely going to be safe. If it's a normal password, no. And in fact, he does go on to say most users don't use these strong passwords. Now, that's, that's, not the, that's not what I think is the most noteworthy thing here. It's like it's, it's another data breach in unsalted MD5. It's like <laughs> business as usual. The thing that's noteworthy is that open subtitles learned back in August that their data had been breached and someone else had their data and they didn't disclose it. That's the problem. Like that's, that's the real problem. And paying to make it go away clearly was not the right thing to do uh, in terms of the impact on them, but it also clearly wasn't the right thing to do in terms of the impact on individuals. Because all that's happened now is we've got this five-month window where someone else has clearly retained the data they've extracted, unless someone else found exactly the same vulnerability and sucked the data out and then went back and asked for more money, which appears to be what's happened. That was the wrong thing to do. So... I think the lesson here for everyone is that you've got to disclose. In fact, depending on where you are in the world, legally, yes, you, you do have to disclose. Well, if you're in Australia and you're a small business, which is under $3 million of annual revenue, well, you actually don't. Um, different thing. Not very happy about that, but talk about that another day. So that's what happened with Open Subtitle. Now, what, here's what, what else was interesting with Open Subtitles. In fact, let me do the maths on this. So um, I sent 114,000 emails to people in open subtitles. 114,000. This is out of a corpus of uh, 6,783,158 people, which is 1.7%. 1.7% of all the people who had open subtitles accounts are subscribers that have been pwned. Now, I've just ticked over 4.1 million subscribers, uh, just yesterday, actually, yesterday or the day before. So there's a there's a growing number of us in have I been pwned. But usually I'd see well under 1%. So it's kind of interesting that there's something about open subtitles and the nature of that service, which has obviously attracted uh, quite a corpus of people who uh, also have a been pwned subscribers. So at least I managed to get in touch with a bunch of people and, of course, also a bunch of organisations who are monitoring domains because those MD5 password hashes, you can guarantee 
a bunch of them are going to be the same ones that people use for their work account. Hmm. All right, look, let's do the let's do the frankly miserable one um, because I can't kind of not do it. And then I'm going to finish on something much cooler that's got absolutely nothing to do with data breaches. There is quite a seedy underbelly uh, to the internet. I think everybody knows that. Um, contrary to what uh, <laughs> to what the InfoRisk Today reporter might think, it's not all on the dark web. A lot of it's on the clear web. And there is... Uh, I think when we think about CD underbellies, you know, we might think about um, sort of tour hidden service marketplaces, you know, drugs, guns, porn, you know, whatever, because a lot of porn out there legally in the mainstream. Uh, but we think about tour hidden marketplaces trading in the sorts of things that um, that need to run anonymously. We think about some of the some of the worst things that we could find on the internet. And, uh, I think the thing that inevitably most of us would immediately think of if we think about the worst things would be like child sexual exploitation material. Uh, we know that's out there. Uh, we, we hear about that. That is, that is probably the worst thing any of us can imagine. Um, not, not too far off that is the sort of content that was on this other website. Uh, and this, this website that had the data reach was called shock gore. Um, just just don't go and google it the, the website when i checked was down anyway i think it might have been down for some time uh it's not the only thing like that i, I remember the first time i ever saw the internet was in early 95 and one of the first sites i saw was, was something which was akin to that i don't know if it exists anymore i don't want to know i don't want to go and look at it i remember exactly what it was called and these websites are out there uh i, I guess auspiciously to host material of a gory nature uh dead bodies car crashes mutilations um i I won't even talk about a lot of the other things because i don't want to sort of leave you sitting there thinking about it but it's just it's just fucked up shit like it's really 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 fucked up shit and this was a forum where people would exchange images and photos of stuff now I only got a very short glimpse of the the images and it came from an archive.org um, snapshot of it. It was part of trying to establish what the hell this thing was. Uh, because the site was offline, I never went through the process of actually doing things like password resets on accounts, to, on mail-later accounts. I don't log into other people's accounts. Mail-later accounts just to see if they're enumeration vectors. I couldn't do that. But w- what I saw in the data itself, and the data was, was only a data dump. It was classic sql injection stuff i I saw enough and the thing that was really bad there was private messages and the private messages requesting images from people and i I don't even know and and maybe this is one of these things where it just sort of depends on where you're in the world but i don't even know where the law sits in terms of trading in mutilation videos for argument's sake not entirely sure but the thing that was coming through over and over and over again in the private messages w- was related to animal cruelty. So things that people wanted to see done to animals. Uh, and there's, there's one term in particular that comes up over and over again, and I'm not even going to say what it is because you'll be left thinking about it. But there are like 2,500 references to it in a, a relatively small database. There's 70,000 something people in the database. And I think from memory, there are about 20,000 plus private messages. 
and it's just yeah it's just really really <laughs> fucked up shit this is just not a nice way to put it um so for some reason this site exists uh and you know again it was down when i looked at it but it was it was clearly up not that long ago because the data breach was what last year i think it was and there are other sites uh which, which seem to be similar and it, it kind of I think it's probably the worst thing I've had to deal with for, for Have I Been Pwned. Like, there's been some weird stuff in Have I Been Pwned, some really weird sexual fetish things and things. Well, okay, weird for me. Maybe some of them other people are into it. But it's one thing to have two consenting adults that might... <laughs> I'm going to try not, not to explain this too explicitly either. That might like to do certain things with certain... I don't know, let's say garden appliances. Who knows? Whatever it may be. But if you're two consenting adults, I don't care. You're both into it. Whatever. It's when... There are innocent parties, whether it be the, the the child sexual exploitation stuff, whether it be animals, it's the innocent parties. That's when it gets really, really messed up. And clearly that is not just illegal, but criminally illegal. Uh, that The sorts of things that were being discussed there is the sorts of things that would make headline news, certainly here in Australia, uh, and you would be locked up for so I contacted the AFP. So the AFP is our Australian Federal Police. Uh, I have have some friends there, which is good. Um, and, of course, they would deal with this sort of shit all the time. So contacted them. It wasn't a new data breach. It's been around for a while. It had been on this hacking forum on the clear web, not on the dark web, since last year sometime. Uh, and that's, you know, that's that's something that th- there were other IP addresses in there. I mean, there's IP addresses and email addresses in there. I'm going to come back to those in a moment. Uh, it might be something that they just file away and later on in a future investigation. And to be clear, I, I, I don't, I'm quite confident there has never been a time I've actually sent data to law enforcement. But I will happily say, hey, there is a forum post over here on the clear web, not on the dark web, where people are exchanging this data. This is probably something that you should be aware of. So this might be something that they file away, and I. I I said, and I imagine that I'd do this anyway, that this is probably something that your, your international partners might find interesting to have at hand as well. And that might now sit in another database somewhere with the email addresses and the IP addresses and the usernames. And even though that might not be high enough in the realms of the things that the likes of the AFP have to deal with, that might be a data point in the future. Uh, and that would be interesting. IP addresses would be interesting. And you have to wonder how many people were actually obfuscating their IP. How many people were on a VPN or proxying through somewhere else? And how many of those IP addresses lead back to their home ISP, their 4G connection, their employer? There are a lot of email addresses in there from government, Fortune 500s, education facilities. I saw Aussie EDUs come up edu.au's come up now the, the problem there is that did someone sign up for the service or did someone else put their data in there now this is why i flagged it as, as sensitive and I, I had a few people in fact i had a, i've got a short tweet thread on this and a, a bunch of people replied to it and in fact it got a huge amount of engagement i think because people are like you poor bastard go and get some help um and when i say go and get some help i can't talk to someone uh and they're Quite a few people have said, like, why make this sensitive? And, and sensitive means you can't publicly search for it. You have to verify you control the email address. You know, it's like, screw those guys. Like, just make it publicly available. 
It's a very you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do this real time because I, I want to try and make a point here. If I go to Cat Forum, and <laughs> this has nothing to do with the animal cruelty thing. It's a legitimate site, Cat Forum, and if I went to join, log in, where are we? Log in. Uh, where's the bit we join? Join now, uh, and it needs a username, and I'll say. My username is going to be this is Troy Testing. Uh, got to select the right field first. This is Troy Testing, like that. And then I'm going to put an email address. That's this is Troy Testing at mailinator.com. And I'm just guessing here this might not work and it's going to prove me completely wrong. Mailinator.com. Beautiful. And the password can be the same thing, but just with a couple of characters on the end. So it satisfies the complexity criteria. And we agree to all the terms and conditions, as we always do. Uh, let us register as a member and see what happens. Uh, register, thank you for registering. Or to complete your registration, you must follow the link in the email. Now, let's imagine for a moment I do not own this email address. I have no access to this email address. I have tried to implicate someone else as being interested in cats. Now, as a dog person, that wouldn't make me happy. If I now go back to catforum.com, and I go to the login page. Where do we get to that? Uh, am I logged in already? Did auto log? Can't auto log me in. Surely it doesn't auto log me in under an account I don't control. Uh, let me see. What if I try and comment on a cat? Will this make my point? Uh, oh, okay. Introduce yourself. Introduction. Yep. Follow. I'm logged in already. How am I logged in already? Okay, incognito. Catforum.com. Okay. Now I'm not logged in. Now I go to forgot your password. And I go there and I type in an email address that I know is wrong. I'm fat fingering this. And I click on reset. And it says the requested member could not be found. Now I go through and I put in the email address that I just registered. I haven't received that email. I haven't done anything with it. And I say reset. A password reset request has been emailed to, and this is my point, I could go and put your email address, should I know it, into this ShockGore website, register, it either goes to your junk if you get a confirmation email, or you look at it, and, and, and like most people who first see this website, what the fuck, delete, and it's gone. Someone comes back years later, breaches the website, puts it up, on the clear web, not on the dark web. I get it. I put it in Have I Been Pwned. Your email address is in there. You've got absolutely no interest whatsoever in this website, but your email address is in there, and now it looks like you are interested in the sorts of really weird, messed up stuff that's on that site. This is why sites like that, no matter how much I hate them, are flagged as sensitive. Because I don't want to implicate unfairly someone else's being into that kind of stuff when they're not. Okay, let me read the comments. Michelangelo says the internet represents the best and the worst of human society. That's fair enough. And as long as there is a need for the worst things, demand will be provided. It's up to the person themselves to decide where they stand. This is true. I think um, I did actually explain this to Ari. So Ari's 12. He's a mature 12-year-old as well. And of course, I didn't show him anything and I didn't talk about what it was that was actually happening, but I explained it to him and said, you know, look, this is, this is why I want you using the devices around us and I like you bedroom door open when you're on the computer and I walk past and see like there is this sort of stuff out there in the clear web not just the dark web 
and you can easily find it. Um, and I, I don't, I don't like that, but I hesitate to say that because I like the fact that people can put things out there and make it easily found. I still question the legality of that service and how it continues to run and why it's not at least blocked at, at, at even an ISP level. But regardless, uh, in 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 Dublin, L one end green icon guy says uh <laughs> lots of harmful things on the internet harmful content harmful people people's unsafe information yes but i think to michael's point as well there's, there's lots of amazing stuff i mean how cool is it that i can sit here at home right now and not have to go anywhere have sponsors like collide so i can actually get paid to keep doing what i do and talk to people like you who all seem like really good people to like to have a beer with as well and we can do it for free like that's freaking awesome and we 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 have this challenge again of the moral neutrality of the technology good stuff bad stuff michael angelo says the thing with these shady things is when it becomes compromised it provides huge leverage for extortion blackmail and worse and of course we see that all the time we saw that the, the, the two big ones that come to mind are ashley madison so ashley madison led to a lot of blackmail which, which was just just atrocious i don't care what your views are on the nature of that site and whether people were there in order to have affairs or not to go and blackmail people for something you have absolutely no context over actually let me be clear to blackmail people at all whether you agree with them having an affair or not it's just just recalcitrant and and, and the other one which was really big is just over a year ago now was vastamo so that the finnish psycho uh, psychotherapy site where they were breached the organization blackmailed and when they didn't pay the individuals blackmailed uh, so this this is something that does seem to be happening a lot now Saying green icon, uh, so people can be framed via that method in a way. Uh, so in, in terms of signing someone else up, yeah. There are a lot of Barack Obamas in the Ashley Madison data breach. Now, I'm not saying that he wasn't on the site. I'm just saying if he was, he was probably on there once. Uh, and if he was, he probably wouldn't use his own name. Plus, he's a kind of recognisable dude. Point is, is that there are lots of clearly fabricated accounts on there. Simon says, I've had whole discussions with large companies about this. Reset password and login error should always reply with the generic message. Now, we're sort of coming back to the whole discussion here about enumeration vectors. So how do you not have enumeration vectors? Password reset is a really obvious one where it's very easy to have an enumeration vector because sites like CatForum come back and tell you whether the account exists or not. That's an easy fix. Registration's an easy fix. Login's an easy fix. Where it gets much more nuanced is things like Timing attacks against login. Uh, someone's using bcrypt with a decent work factor, so there is a computational overhead when you have the right username because it's gone to the database and it's got the password hash for that username. Uh, database comes back to the app and it says, hey, here's a record, and the app's like, okay, there's a record. Cool, now I need to hash with the salt I just pulled back from the database, the new plain text password, and compare it. Computationally expensive. There's 200 milliseconds you can observe. Account doesn't exist. The app goes to the database, database says no account, and the app's like, okay, well, I don't need to hash. So it responds 200 milliseconds faster. So you have to build in this additional hash, even if it doesn't exist, which is very counterintuitive for those just building software, trying to make things as fast as we can. Account lockout. How many failed attempts before it locks out an account? Does it do that for an account that does exist as well as for an account that doesn't exist? Because the only way you can do it for an account that doesn't exist is that you now need to have some level of persistence of this identity, which doesn't have an account, but you've got to persist it, and then you've got to track how many attempted logins there are to try and simulate or emulate the same behavior of an account that does exist. 
So I, I agree with Simon, but I, I think the point I'm making is that it starts to get very, very nuanced when you get beyond those sort of three really obvious enumeration vectors, uh, login, password, reset, and registration. Strauss has just explained that beautifully, and it's scary how easy it is to frame someone like you just shown. Yeah, it is. Michelangelo, the technique of registering someone else's account has been around since the early days of the internet called mail bomb pranks. With these sites, it can have serious consequences. Now, I've had people before say, well, why, why are they storing the email address? Now, there's a two-part answer to this. Part one's the obvious bit. I just registered on Cat Forum. Now, Cat Forum wants to verify and control the email address. This is good because it wants to know that I can get back into this account, that I didn't fat finger the email address. Uh, if, if I can't verify that email address, then they can't be certain that they can contact me again and I can get back in. Uh, so this is sort of an important part of, of just account management 101. But what they've done is they've sent an email, not, well, not to me, but to that mail and address. They've sent an email with a token. That token has to match up with something on the website when I click the link. And typically what will happen is we will have a record go into a registration table. At some point, that token will be stored such that when I come back from my mail client, after clicking the link, there's a token there. It's matched to the token that's stored in the database, lines up to the account, and then they flick the switch, which says, this is the date the account was verified. So it's, it's not a matter of let's just have no record whatsoever of this account unless they verify it because it's like, well, then how do you, unless you sort of tokenize the entire thing and you put it in a cryptographic string that's only existing in the context of that, like you could do it, but it starts to get very messy. But the other part of it is how long should you wait without someone actually following the link in the email before you just delete the record? If they haven't come back within, say, three days, I'll be generous. Three months. Do you still need it? So from a, a basic sort of data minimization perspective, we probably have a lot more data in systems like this than what we actually need. Now, you'd still have a window. Someone could go and create a fabricated account for someone, get breached within that window of data retention, uh, and then after they get breached, the record would get deleted because the person didn't actually want the account, but they're still there in this database. Now, mind you, there might have even been a flag in this particular website which indicated whether or not they've approved the account or verified the account. I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really feel like looking into the data more. Something else in here. Uh, Stratus, after Troy gets a million ads on Facebook and Google for cats. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I've got a pie hole at home as well and it does help get rid of a lot of that stuff. Something else about this breach. There are something like 30-something percent of the accounts already have pwned. So I always tweet out when I load a, a new data breach, like what percentage of accounts have already been pwned? Because this is one of the reasons I started having been pwned. I find it fascinating that the pwned have usually been pwned multiple times. Now, I normally see... Let's just go back through the percentages here. Just for... If I go to Twitter, it's always on Twitter the tweets I put out. Let's just talk about the data breaches I put in here today, or rather I spoke about today. Uh, that Indian one, 73% already have I been pwned. Carding Mafia, 98%. It's massively high because it was their second data breach. We can kind of discard that. Upstocks, 52%. That's on the low side, but it's still more than half of everyone in there pwned before. Open subtitles, 75%. Very, very typical. 
Shock Gore, 36%. Now, I read two things into that. Number one, uh, there are probably a lot of people using throwaway email addresses for obvious reasons. Number two, it is highly likely that a lot of people in there are using legitimate email addresses unless they're using the same throwaway email addresses on multiple sites and have had multiple breaches. There were hundreds of Have I Been Pwned subscribers in there. And I find it hard to believe that a Have I Been Pwned subscriber would subscribe a throwaway address. Uh, and, and I guess what I mean by that is these, these are probably people that did genuinely want to have the account on the site uh, and do genuinely have account. And unless it's the, sort of the cat from example I just gave before where someone's gone and just chucked their email address into, into this recalcitrant site just to mess with people. There were hundreds of domain notifications sent. And I find this one really fascinating. Like imagine, imagine you're, let's say you're the security person in a Fortune 500 company and you get an email from Have I Been Pwned saying, for argument's sake, there are three people in your organization that had accounts on this website. What do you do? What do you do? Imagine that discussion with HR. So, funny thing happened today. Uh, we got an email, and uh, Bob, Jane, and Mary are all on the Shock Gore website. Now, they wouldn't necessarily have the data, but particularly for people in infosec capacities in large organisations, it would be very, very easy to find it. Imagine that discussion then. And out of 70-plus thousand accounts, there would have to be a tens of thousands figure of actual email addresses from real people that intended to be on the site, and they use their work account. Not necessarily tens of thousands, but there will be hundreds, if not thousands, of people that actually use work accounts with work IP addresses to sign up for this site. That, that's just all levels of stupid. I, I can't even fathom that. Moving on, Simon, 24 hours. Max, uh, we're talking about how long would you actually keep the data for? As long as it isn't 15 minutes, because that is a common grey list timing. Uh, the email won't open the inbox in time. Uh, Michael Angelo says identity management is very hard to do well. Paul, does login via a new magic link each time emailed remove, reduce? You know what that does? Pisses me off. <laughs> I'm so glad to be onto a happier topic than that previous one. Um, magic links, I, I think, are the devil's work uh, for all sorts of reasons. If you, if you want to know what I mean by that, go to Twitter and search for uh, Troy Hunt, or one word, and user voice. And you'll, you'll find lots of references there. So they actually rolled over to a system called Magic. Now, that is literally the name of the service. And it was just a complete steaming pile of shit for all sorts of reasons. Everything from having to wait to get the email and then hopefully it doesn't get delayed and then hopefully it doesn't go to junk. And then it goes into your, your email client. And then you have to click on a link, which then opens up in the default browser, which may not be the browser that you are in just before. And then it also had anti, uh, I guess, anti-fraud controls or attempted to have fraud controls around the likes of, hey, it looks like you're logging in from place. You know, if this isn't you, then go somewhere else. And every time I used it, it was like, I'm on the Gold Coast. Hey, Troy, it looks like you're logging in from Canberra. Now, first of all, nobody wants to be in Canberra. If you're not from Australia, just believe me. Uh, second of all, it is, 
It is about, uh, it's well over a thousand kilometers away. Put it that way. It's a very, very, very long way away. So all that sort of stuff just didn't work. From a risk perspective, it's really the same as password reset. If you can control the email address, you can get an email sent to that address that will allow you to log into the account. But you can't just use your password manager to like control backslash one password login, bam, you're done. It just it just killed the usability and encouraged bad practice as far as I'm concerned. Hated it, hated it, hated it. Lee, uh, oh good, another topic. If we have time, what's your thoughts on on what Cloudflare are trying to do with their security warp, etc.? I have a fun Cloudflare story which is unfolding. Uh, in a good way, in a good way. This is not like does anyone have a, <laughs> a security contact at Cloudflare? Uh, I think there might be a blog post in this next week, but I'm still not quite sure what's happening. Um, it's, it's nothing to be concerned about. It's something to do with poem passwords and caching gone wrong and me getting a mammoth Azure bill, which I can, which I can wear, but I wasn't very happy about. Uh, <laughs> so I'll talk about that later on. I haven't given Warp a lot of reading though, so I, I can't comment on that. The other stuff they do, I'm, I'm in love with. I think Cloud for doing an awesome job. Another company I'm in love with, let me talk about uh, Ubiquity for a moment. I tweeted something this week that just got a massive amount of traction. Uh, and, and full disclosure, Ubiquity doesn't pay me any money. They, they did some years ago. I did some courses for them, but they do send me a lot of bits. The bits are awesome. My my guy at Ubiquity reached out the other day, and he's like, have you seen Wi-Fi Man with the LiDAR AR Wi-Fi mapper. Now that's a lot of terms all in one go. I put a tweet out about this the other day, but what it boils down to is Ubiquity is trying to help you figure out what is the coverage like in your house. Now we've all had this before. In fact, the whole reason I went and got Ubiquity gear in the first place is I had some really shitty, I think it was like Netgear stuff before, and the coverage was terrible and I had dead spots all over the place. So I covered the place in like ubiquity wireless access points, mesh network, loved it, wrote about it, and then the rest is history. So what they've done is Wi-Fi Man's been around for a while. As you roam around your house and your device roams to different access points, it'll tell you what you're roaming to, what your signal strength is. It's been really good to sort of figure out how devices sort of hop around the network. What they've done is... uh, iPhone 12 and iPhone 13 Pro have LiDAR. So remember, LiDAR is like sending light out, seeing how long it takes to bounce back. And uh, it's it's a cool thing because of the super cool cameras in here, but it's also a cool thing because it can start to map out the shape of a room. Now, also, the Wi-Fi Man app can identify which access point you're connected to and what is your signal strength. And your phone has a camera. So they've sort of combined all these things together. So you, you fire it up, you got the camera, you're looking at your room and you walk around and it shows you what your signal strength is via colored blocks. And it's the usual sort of red is bad, orange not so bad, green is good. But then it uses the LiDAR to sort of draw pictures of the walls and things. And as you walk around your house and you get further away from access point or you go through a doorway or something, you don't have line of sight anymore, you see the signal strength drop off. And then you walk towards somewhere else that has another access point and then the phone roams to that point and suddenly like everything goes green again because now you can see you've got good coverage there. It's super, super cool. It is so awesome. When I tweeted, there's like so many people are like, this is freaking awesome. How do I do this? Can I do this with my shitty like old Netgear stuff? Like, no, you can't. Uh, can I do this with a unified security gateway and cloud key? 
No, you can't. You need a unified dream machine. I believe you need a pro. Double check it if you're going to go out and buy stuff. Uh, I have a pro here, so it obviously works with that. You need to have that feature enabled on the dream machine pro, which clearly I did. And then it's like magic happens. But it is so cool. It's just one of those things. It just it just gives me joy to see how cool the technology is and how far it's come. So that's my happy story. <laughs> that's my last topic. Much happy one to end on. Lee says, I played with their Wi-Fi man today after seeing your tweet. It's so good. Help me figure out where to put my mesh units. And that's a lot of what this is. Look, I have way more Wi-Fi than what any sane person should anyway. So this is this is not really a problem I have to deal with. But it is kind of cool. Um, I, I think it would be interesting to like actually go out on the road and see it as well. It would be cool if they did like Google Map overlay. I did... Um, I did put one of the uh, mesh access points on my roof looking at the back because I wanted to sort of cover the pool and down where I get the boat and everything. And I can go to my neighbours like well over 100 metres away over the other side of the canal and we can sit there drinking beer and I've got great connectivity <laughs> back to my house because of this this access point. So it might be cool to actually run it over there. I could paddleboard over there and see how much coverage I get as I go across the canal. I think that would be cool. Uh, and then Simon says, oh, right, that time you couldn't internet on your jet ski. I wrote a blog post years ago about the how poor the Wi-Fi on my jet ski was. Uh, and actually, I used that same device, but now rather than using uh, wireless uplink and actually having a device down on my jetty, because I've put it high on the roof, it's actually got great line of sight coverage, much, much, much better coverage than before uh, without having to have another access point down, like literally on the water. First world problems, as they say. Heike, greetings from Estonia. G'day. Simon Wafferman, the wireless version of Hackerman. <laughs> Lee says, works on UDM normal too. I've got the UDM R2-D2. There's an R2-D2. I've got all the Google list. Now. Because it looks like an R2-D2, doesn't it? Um, ubiquity UDM R2-D2. Is there really? Or it just looks like R2-D2. I could imagine someone, or is this on Reddit? I can imagine someone skinning it. A friend of mine showed me a Thingiverse 3D file to print a UDM stand that makes it look like R2-D2. Now I kind of wish I had like a normal one. Wow, that's really cool. You just basically go... <laughs> See that? So the, the, uh, the Unified Dream Machine... I've got a blog post on that because I did put one at my, my mate... Raf's, uh, Raf's place, uh, ooh, probably 18 months ago now, it, it looks like an R2-D2 without the legs because it's cylindrical with sort of a round top. Uh, so you can 3D print like a base to sit it on with the legs. Uh, I, I feel like you could go even further with that, actually. That actually looks really cool. That makes me happy. <laughs> that's, a, that's a much better note to finish on. Ah... Uh, Jarvis using the, the internet on a jet ski, literally surfing the net. Oh, and Lee says, yep, you're getting my mate to print me one out. That's awesome. That makes me happy. Tweet that out. Do me a favor. Like when you get that, when it's printed, tweet it out. Show me a picture of that. I'd love to see it. All right, folks, it is my Friday night here. I'm going to go and wrap this up. I'm glad we finished on something a little bit more lighthearted. I uh, hope everyone has a good time and that no one else gets any more COVID, me included, <laughs> at least before I do this next week, hopefully for much longer than that. Uh, cheers, folks. I hope you uh, found that interesting, even though some of it was a little bit, a uh, little bit on the nose. But you know, this, as someone else said in the in the comments, this this is the internet.
See you later, everyone.